What's up, all you beautiful people? How you doing? It's your boy Hobart coming to you on Monday, November 22nd. Hobie, where are you? Where am I, might you ask? Uh, I'm down in... Actually, I'm in El Segundo right now. Left my wallet in El Segundo. Gotta get it. Gotta, gotta get it. Yeah. Um, I just wrapped up a podcast um, with my friend Melissa that'll be out next week. But I've been down in L.A. for these last couple of days. Um, earlier this year, my, my uncle, Peter Alexander, passed away. Uh, really prolific artist on the L.A. scene. So I came down this week this weekend to uh to go to his celebration of life which was yesterday and um be you know just be there with with my aunt and my cousin really just you know at this time feeling like I want to connect with my fam and it's been so nice we we had the event yesterday which was just beautiful super lovely and it's just been so good connecting with them and um I'm getting to be in LA and it's the weather's super nice. Jumped in the ocean yesterday. So, you know, life's doing pretty good. We're we're almost to we're almost to that lovely time of the year that I lovingly refer to as Grundle Tide. You know, it's the the taint of the year, the gooch, you know, that time in between uh the Thanksgiving and New Year's, which are kind of, you know, the the dick and ass or the vagina and ass of the year uh, in which you, you know, you have these weeks where, you know, it's really hard to get anything done. You just want to be festive, you know, and you might try to plan stuff, but let's be honest. Are we really, how much are we really getting done in those weeks? So I find that the the year tends to move pretty quick from Thanksgiving. My birthday's like two weeks after and then Christmas and then New Year's and it's just, it's really fun. It's really mellow, and uh, I need to find a way to pay for it all. <laughs> all that being said, um, I got something real special for you guys today. Uh, this is episode number 40, my friends. Um, that's right. We did it. We're fucking 40 episodes in. I can't believe that. Like, Just so excited and stoked and happy and amazed uh, to have gotten to this point. And it's just something that I feel really good about. Um, you know, I'm not trying to toot my horn or anything. Just it's it's more humbling than anything that just I've had 40 episodes and people want to come on and talk and people are listening. Um, so I wanted to do something special for episode 40. And uh, so, you know, had to bust out the big guns. Uh and so, so today for episode 40, you know, I got a, a very special guest, uh, one of the first guests on the bod, on the Bartcast. Um, he was on episode three, and, and that is my boy, Lesh Wierzynski. What's up, Anthony Lesh Wierzynski? Uh, you may know him as the frontman and singer for the California Honey Drops, uh, you know, Lesh is, is just one of the most unique and talented humans that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Uh, you know, he's, he's my best friend. He's been a huge source of inspiration for me in my life. Um, you know, 
without gushing too much and making him too uncomfortable. Uh, he's just, he's, he's such a creative force and an example of, of, of someone who's taken the gifts that he was given and really developed them to a level of, of mastery and proficiency that is, it's, it's just so inspiring to see, uh, and being able to go and see like, you know, my friend do his art in front of thousands of people. Um, it's really inspiring. And so when I was thinking about this episode and thinking about who I wanted to have on, uh, as I'm making my own creative way through this life, uh, I was like, I got to get my boy Lesh back on and, and the timing couldn't be better. Uh, you know, after three years of, of doing many different projects and little EPs and cover albums, uh, the Honey Drops are once again back in the studio uh, working on their next full album. And a couple weeks ago, they asked me to come in and to shoot some video uh, of the session. And so I got to go in and, and watch these incredibly talented musicians uh, put some put some touches on some of their tracks and see how they worked and you know I've gotten to I've gotten to get real close to what is undeniably my favorite band um, over the last five or six years and it's been such an interesting and transformative experience for me so so getting to come in and see them like literally making uh, music that I know is going to be you know part of my life soundtrack, a, a legendary part of my own experience and getting to be in the room when they're actually making those sounds. It was super cool. Um, all that to say that, you know, coming out of it and, and thinking about this episode 40, uh, I thought what a cool, what a cool opportunity to have the man on himself uh, to talk about, you know, the process of being back in the studio, of making music, of, of the concepts that inform and influence this new album and, uh, and, and just to connect with my friend, you know? Um, so, so Lesh came over last week and we sat down and we recorded this conversation for you guys. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Lesh, uh, you know, he's, he, he'll, he'll be the first to tell you he's not one to dive too deep into the digital hive mind world. So I'm very appreciative that he, uh, took time to come and let his voice be, you know, forever imprinted on my, my own channel and to, to step into this online realm with me to, uh, to capture some of his thoughts and to, to get his personality down, uh, for my show. Really appreciate it. Um, and I hope you guys enjoy it. If you're, if you're fans of the honey drops, this will be a cool insight into, the mind of the guy that, that, that writes a lot of the music and has a lot of the ideas. Um, if you, ha if you aren't a fan of the honey drops or you haven't listened to them, you need to pause and go listen to that music. Cause it's fucking amazing. And, uh, I think even listening to a couple tracks before this episode will give you some cool context of who I'm talking to. Um, you know, with his singing and guitar playing and trumpet playing. And, you know, I love all those guys, but it's, it's nice getting the captain in, in the, uh, in the episode. Um, yeah. So we talk about a lot about music, uh, with Lesh. It's always 
fun because we get to get real just kind of goofy and conversational with it. Um, and then we go into a little bit of Warriors takes at the end because we're both Warriors fans. And why not? The season's going great. That's uh, We talk about it all day. Uh, so, yeah, without further ado, let me introduce to you my boy, Lesh Wierzynski, on this episode 40 of the Bartcast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise. Rumble, buddy. Got a rumble on. Mm. How good does that sound? Amazing. That's like one of those. That's one of those sounds that I think would be like a real good text message sound, like like the sound of a beer can opening or a soda can. That just. That's one thing that came and went, kind of like tones yeah you remember like around like the the early to mid 2000s how like the hip thing in cell phones was having those little like monophonic yeah i don't i didn't have a cell phone then so i don't remember i didn't get my cell phone until later how old were you when you got one i think it was until i was 27 yeah, I didn't have a cell phone until I was 20. Do you remember what kind of phone you got? It was like a, yeah, it was just a, flip, a brick or something? Like a flip phone, you know? Yeah, but I think it was 27. I just remember like how, like, I think that I, I definitely snuck onto my cell phone bill like a couple like purchases of, 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 be- tones. of tones. Yeah, I had, right. uh, the first one I got was like, uh Nas New York State of Mind. It was really dope. <laughs> and then I got Big Papa, Biggie. I remember the people that had them. I remember that. It was a definite But I flex. definitely didn't. I definitely <laughs> didn't never I like I said I didn't even have a phone. I just yeah. didn't give a shit. It was a real high school flex. flex yeah, <laughs> you had a cool symbol. tone. Yeah, exactly. Right. Wait, bro, call me. Wait right. for it. Right, oh. right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, the did you like uh you ever have like a phone number list or how did you keep track of contacts? Was it all in your head or before you had a phone? I had a little book. I remember that. A little black book. I had a little black book. You know, that, you know, all my friends from, you know, all the random places too, like friends from camp and shit. Mm, band camp? Yeah. Yeah. I had a little book. I remember that. I always had a good memory, so I always remembered lots of numbers. I still remember all these numbers. All the ones from before? Or? Yeah, like all these old ones. I, st- I have a bunch of my friends' numbers memorized still. Nice. Now. Yeah. I, I had uh, like a... Anyway, yeah. I had a page of numbers. Like I wrote out on a piece of like binder paper, and I had it like organized by like girls I liked, homies, my weed hooks. Right, right. And, uh, and those numbers, I still remember that were on that sheet, but everything after I got a phone. Right. It's uh, harder. Yeah. I, I really don't. Even like old girlfriends, I don't remember their numbers or anything. Cause you never put them in. It's just, yeah. just click on a name. Yeah. It's true. 
it's kind of almost like numbers are almost like obsolete. Like, why do we still have phone numbers? If you think about it, like, you just get a QR code, right? <laughs> scan and scan and plan, scan and you know. The, but if you think about it, all you're really no, doing it's these good days to is, have. It's, you have to have one because yeah. that you call the person anytime. Mm-hmm. If you lose the number, right? You don't have your phone. You can still call the damn number. That's true. You don't have to have their like special. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. If you had to have like a code or some shit, then you I, wouldn't be able right. to call nobody. I could see that happening someday, though, where like things get so ubiquitous online, where you just are clicking on people's contact, like their name or their image, because like 90 percent of what we how we connect with people is like by clicking on a call symbol. We don't dial the number. You know, rarely do we dial the number, even if you're like looking up a business. It's usually like a link online that you right, just click well, on. I don't know. Let somebody else figure that shit out. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Oh, yeah, dude. How you been, man? How's life? How's the... You guys just got back from a tour, right? Uh, Yeah, sort of. We did a sh- short tour. Hardly call it a tour, but yeah, we played around The Rocky Texas. Mountain Loop? No, we yeah, we did that. We did that. We did some Colorado, and then we did some Texas and some Louisiana. Mm. That's really it, though. We haven't done much of anything else. It's still slow going. Still slow going. Yeah, it's still it's still like a, a shadow of its former self. Okay. Yeah. People are still in hermit mode. I mean, people come out, maybe not as much, especially yeah. in city coastal cities. People are more, you know, tentative. The coastal elites are are scared to see shows, but mm. man, in Texas, it's yeah. Was it cracking? <laughs> it was cracking. Yeah. <laughs> Texas and uh, Louisiana was uh, well in, in New Orleans is very strict. Okay. Vaccine cards and to even just get into a bar mm. out there, but uh, Texas was pretty wide open. You see any? You see any open carries at your shows? Uh, dude, every show, bro. Yeah. It's just the new thing at the Honey Drop show. <laughs> I, Bring your like, AR-15. <laughs> that would be like the funniest contrast. Like, dude, I'm sure. It's, I can, Everybody I can't, gets broke down. Pew, pew, pew. I'm sure there's some country guys that like, that's like part of the show. People just bring their guns to the right. show. Rooting yeah. and tooting. Yeah. Everyone with the 50 cal or higher, make some noise. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. And were you guys on a bus for this? For this yeah, there was last a, one? it was a bus for the last, for that little Texas run. It wasn't a, t- like I said, it wasn't a lot. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a lot of gigs. Wasn't a lot of shows, but they were fun. They were very fun. Yeah, does it feel like you guys are like I know after so much time off? It's just starting. Yeah, it's just we just on this tour, the band started sounding like the well-oiled machine again. Nice. You know, it's like oh yeah, that's that good feeling. The honeyed tones. Those are those good grooves where you Hell just yeah. hit some shit and it's just grinding from the top. You know, it's a trip because like this is. Something it's like never happened before in living memory. Like I've heard from many different performers, like this, like enforced time off. Mm-hmm. It's like something that nobody throughout, you know, recent history has had to contend with. I think so they like, did have to do something. Wasn't there a recording band during world war two? Was there? I, I think there was a recording band okay. and that affected things quite a bit. Hmm. Um, so I remember there was something like that. Uh, that affected the business, but you could still play at shows. Yeah. 
but there was some kind of recording. I think that's what it was. Hmm. I can't. I'm not, you know, an expert on it. I wonder how I that. There was something like that. I wonder how that affected, like the, like if that changed recordings. You know, when people came back, if there was like a difference in the overall fabric of how music was recorded as a result of that time. Yeah, that little off. time off. Yeah. They, they made some innovations in the meantime. Exactly. I don't know. It's good questions. The, uh, but yeah, yeah but, I mean, this definitely changed things for us a bit. But now that it's back, it's just like it never stopped. Or, yeah. You know, in terms of for just performing. It definitely mm-hmm. took me a second to get back in the live frame of mind. Yeah, the yeah. avatar mode was a different different path. <laughs> it was just it was just like wasn't there at first yeah. or it was just different. I've mm-hmm. forgotten the things that I would do at the different times that I needed to do them, you know, and or wanted to do them or whatever it was, you know, when the show was going a certain way and I mm-hmm. needed, wanted to steer it in a different direction. Did you experience any like benefits? You know, like sometimes if you're I know the basketball is the analogy I like to use for this, but if you take some time off, you come back and like all you've like forgotten all of your bad habits and sometimes you can like experience some like your things. shot is better there's always some of that but in terms of there was some of that in terms of playing i guess but honestly it was a minute for me to 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 like get back into the just leading i think there was a lot of new material we wanted to play so we had new songs and that may have thrown us off more than the break to be totally honest with mm. you i think we just went back to playing the old the same shows as we used to, the same types of songs and the same sorts of places in the set, it would have been what might have flowed more easily. But because we had new songs, it's kind of like you have to get a feel for what those new songs do in the show Mm -hmm. and where they fit and what you can do with them. Right. Like, hey, can you extend this one? Can you vamp this one out? Can you get people to, can you come up with some spontaneous thing to, for people to sing along with or can you make like some little crowd fun out of this song or you just play this one down and like we just didn't have because there was so much new stuff we didn't have like a regular flow yet in terms of you know where mm-hmm. we're gonna where we're gonna extend where we're not gonna extend where, yeah do you um, have a like i'm curious like when you guys go on the road and especially in this situation like is it common that you have a period of experimentation when you're integrating new songs, like where they sit in the set? Or I yeah. know you guys famously don't have like written out set lists, but yeah, but we have our like preferred spots. Yeah, you know, like in general, and then we just have a kind of a million different songs to choose from where mm-hmm. we can put. But we were playing a lot of the new ones consistently. That's always, I think, growing pains for us because we're not a set list band, and because. Doing new stuff is hard, I think, because we just want to kind of get up there and play. But we know that if we don't make a list, when we have new ones, if we don't enforce that we play them, we're going to steer away from them Mm. because we know they're not super comfy yet. And because we just want to get up there and have fun, we're not going to play the new shit. Right. (laughs) Like, because we know that we're going to have a better show if we play the old shit. (laughs) <laughs> so you know what i'm saying it's, it's like, like it's like stand-up comics you might go see them and when they're tr- working on new material yeah like, they weren't funny at all right but they're just like they and you just and you have to swallow that right and i think that was a little bit hard for me okay to be like okay we're gonna have some shows that aren't as fun as normal because we are gonna make a point to play all these mm-hmm. songs and get into it and it's gonna be a little awkward and not as 
not as fun, but it's just a part of it. And then once we got into the groove with it, it was like, all right, all right, it's cool. And because the the sh- tours were short, we didn't get to, we didn't have an, and the gigs were like one-offs because of the nature of shit is still not really rolling yet. You just have one weird gig and then you have a week off mm. and you know, you don't have yeah. tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow night to redeem you yourself. Find the rhythm in that. Yeah. So it's been really, I think it was, I don't like it. I want to be, I want to, you know, well, my way like, I'd go out for a month yeah, and then come home for a couple of weeks or, but you know, like 10 days is like minimum to like get in the groove. Okay. A week. Uh, that's when the band starts sounding really good, you know? Um, it's yeah. like a team you had to play together for a while, learn, learn yeah, and relearn, you know, each other's If you just moves. do a set list and a show, then it's fine. Then you can just, pro- it probably doesn't matter that much. Mm-hmm. But if you're really trying to like flow, if you want to implement the Steve Kerr flow offense, yeah, then you've got to you've got to have the chemistry. Got to get your triangles down. You can't have it without like real chemistry. Well, that's totally. I mean, that's in my mind like that's one of the signature, you know, themes of the Honey Drops music is that it's like it's like loose tightness or tight tight looseness. Like you guys do the work of getting super tight on your song so that you can have that loose set that breathes so that you can make on the fly decisions about what to play or how to play it. And that, I think a lot of people resonate with that because it doesn't have this, like you can go see the honey drops two times in a weekend and you're going to see different, two different shows. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Which is, you know, which is something that's more common with like a jam band, but we're not a jam band. Right. But it's more like a it's more like a, a free flowing. You're a band jam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you, you know, one of the stories on this latest trip that you guys came out, you know, when you guys went out on this last trip that I thought was super cool and representative of the live Honey Drops experience. You know, was in. I only I found out about it via like social media, but. Like you guys had a set right in New Orleans where the power went out. Oh yeah, what was yeah. that like? I mean, it just you just you know <laughs> you just keep going. Was it like early in the set? No, it was actually. I think we were close to the. It wasn't the last song, but it was probably going to be the second to last song of that set. Mm-hmm. And we um, we had some friends of Scott's. We had Bill Summers there from Headhunters. He was like waiting to play with us on the next song. And all of a sudden we're in the middle of this little groove and all the power just goes out and we just go into survival mode. So all the horns just kept blasting. We just kept it going. He jumped up there with the shekere and started just grooving with Scott. Scott came up to the front with his djembe. So we had the shekere and the djembe in the front mm-hmm. just grooving ben ben stayed in the back with Bo, like playing drums and some bells and we just grooved it grooved it grooved it ben I mean, lolo jumped down on the floor into the front row and started getting people to sing different parts oh tight you know so he started doing his little choir directing lolo lolo mm-hmm. you know no started, you're wrong no <laughs> wrong note flat you're flat uh, yeah he started going walter hawkins down at the bottom hell yeah telling them to do this and that and mm-hmm. whatever else and, and then so we had the crowd singing and then we were playing and then the the percussion was just grooving and then eventually we just marched out 
We just walked to through the, the crowd. Are you are you just we, marched out of the crowd? We marched through the crowd. We came back up, and then we finished it, and then we waited for them for to to figure out what the hell was going on. Yeah, but the power went out on the whole block. Apparently, okay. Yeah, that, that's what was cool. Even in the the little video clips that I saw was like people thought it was planned, right? People thought it was like, and then some people realized that the power just went out. But some people were like, but it was in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? In terms of the song, it, you know what I'm saying? It just happened. Yeah. And we were like, oh shit! No, but like your energy, like, and the, even hearing you talk about it now, like, I think a lot of people would have gotten rattled by that. But what I saw on your faces in the video and just hearing you describe it now, it's like this excitement of like, Oh, we know what to do here. This is like a creative moment, an opportunity to like do our thing, which is you guys have this total live second line vibe that doesn't always, depending on where you're playing or what the context is, you don't always get to like stretch that out. No, totally. I mean, that's the shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have horns too. Mm -hmm. If you have like, if your band is two electric guitars, a electric keyboard and electric bass you're pretty screwed you're not gonna make it happen you know but we have i play you know we had three horn players trombone two saxophones trumpet and you know ben ben's a drummer mm-hmm. bo's a drummer right scott's a drummer and then we had like a legendary percussionist just holding it down yeah with us. and so you got like, enough hey, multi-instrumentalists where the pivot isn't like like low low isn't going to be deterred by his keyboard yeah. going out. He's he's got enough musicality to. Yeah, yeah. You know. No, we're going to keep it going. I mean, that's what we love to do. I mean, we you know the whole street thing is our vibe. And some would argue that you've actually had more experience in the last you know eighteen months with the acoustic jams, the many like <laughs> secret hangs. The, right. Like in some ways, you've been playing more of that kind of music you know? yeah in some ways yeah you know yeah. in these hypothetical parties that have taken place oh yeah of course no months. we haven't played any parties everybody breathes through their nose folks don't yeah. don't worry it's all <laughs> nose breathing at these events um hell yeah dude well <laughs> that's what's up and i'm sure like you know i'm sure for the fans or for the audience it was like you know like you said they thought it was planned like getting to witness like so, like a band lore moment or this kind of <laughs> you know they weren't even phased or well we had had it ha- it's happened before i remember one time our uh uh joe who was playing trombone with us this guy joe quinones he he fucking stepped on uh like stepped on some power thing that shorted out the whole building mm. In wow. New York, in New York City, wow. and we just did the same thing. We just had to. It was on the first. It was like on the. Nah, was it the first song, or was it like? The, it was similarly placed. It was like maybe the last song of the first set or something. Mm-hmm. And he stepped on something, and the whole power shorted out, and we just kept going. It was in a similar kind of room. It was in New York City, like probably like a thousand person room or oh, wow. fifteen hundred person room, and we mm-hmm. just had to roar through it. And it was like the best moment of the show. Right. Like, you you know. I'm sure it, it breaks up. Uh, yeah, oh, man, like, you need it. Yeah. You need it. <laughs> Sick. Hell yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to I wanted to bring you on because, uh, you know, you guys are in the midst of back again of, of, of the studio process and creating this new album. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about that and and kind of you know learn you know like like this time around it's it's been like 
what, like three, um, three, almost four years now since your guys last, like, you know, official full honey drop studio album. I'm just curious, like for you, how, you know, this experience is, you know, varies coming in at this point, this juncture in time. Um, especially I mean, after this last 18 Yeah, months. we've been recording a lot at home, but that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. And but I have been recording a lot, so I feel like I have more. I had more experience going into it, more confidence than in years past. Yeah, I think me, both me and Jacob, I think we between the two of us have like learned a lot of stuff and learned a lot more about how we want to do things. So we were, I think, feel like a lot less confused and a lot less tentative in the studio, and we can make a lot faster decisions. Um. And so we got some really cool sounds. Those those first couple days in the studio, like the setup days. Yeah, sort of. like is that was that different this time around for you guys having? I think that, we cut a song on the first night. Wow, is that not is that not the usual? Um, I mean, usually you get a song. I mean, we we went above and beyond on the setup. Okay. So you know what I'm saying? Like we set up. Everything for every option, even things that we didn't need. Just so you, you could go pick it up and not burn time. In the yeah, exactly. So once we were in, we could switch things out. So we had like several options and everything was kind of like readily mic'd up. So like all the different guitar amp options. And then we had DIs in case we wanted to use those. So we had it rigged. We rigged up like a million different options for everything. So everything was ready at at the drop of a hat. For the next song. Do you build that process out like in your head of where everything's going to be like, is that something that Jacob does takes ownership of? Like if, if you have your like date studio date set, do you go through the process of like thinking about where people are going to be in the room or how things are going to be set up? We didn't know. We, so we had to figure that out at the time. Okay. Like in the moment we were like, okay, where are we going to put this? Where are we going to put that? And that takes some time too. But we also didn't. We we used really simple drum sounds. Like we have one mic for the drums. We basically had like two different. We had a couple of different room mics for the drums, and depending on which one we liked for that song, that's the one we would choose to record. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. So it was you know. So we had we had simpler. We and we also said that we weren't going to EQ anything. Mm. So that was different. What was there a reason behind that? Where we we were just like we're gonna pick the mic that sounds the best. Okay. We're gonna get a good sound first. So if something didn't sound right, we would switch the mic out. Okay. Instead of like trying to EQ on the board to get the right sound, so we wanted to like leave the sounds as just get good sounds on as as little with a, as little effects as possible. So there was literally it's just recording like straight up. Cool. Yeah. That's an interesting way to think about it. Like at the, you're like making the changes at the point where the the music hits the t- technology or the music hits the device yeah, yeah. rather than inside the device itself. Yeah, uh-huh. And we tried to minimize all that. We were like, if we can just get, especially with drums, you know, I think that's a thing. Yeah. It's like don't, things. don't, no, no, no funny stuff, you mm-hmm. know, no funny stuff. Get the thing to sound good and let it roll seems like one of those things where it's like uh it could be where like if you if you get too obsessed with the eqing 
It's like you you pull one string and then it unravels the whole thing. No, you totally. Know, you you got to be careful. This. You do right. you do too much finagling. And one thing affects another thing, or you get into this idea that you're doing something really cool, mm-hmm. but you're not, <laughs> and then it's too late because you've like chopped up the sound. So, right. So we tried to keep it real basic, uh-huh. and uh, I think it worked. Yeah, it was fun. We had some, you know, a lot of new different ideas and whatnot. Yeah, did you guys did did you do any writing in the studio or did did you already? We have did some actually. Stuff? That was I think that was the best one, hmm. and it's the most energetic one. The one that we kind of wrote most of it in the studio. Was that the one that that you showed that you guys were doing when I came in? The, yeah, the um, the 80s, second no no the, the one the, the second half of that one with gotcha. the second line. That was all in studio. That was all in studio, like in terms of all those torn lines and how that was arranged and every part every part of that was was done in the studio and that was actually hella fun yeah i'm almost thinking we should record a whole album that way cool of just like making up songs in the studio i think that works for certain types of things but that vibe like the the second line kind of vibe it really lends itself for that you know because it's not about like production and like it's just about groove riffs and different riffs bouncing off each other in spontaneity. Like you want to keep that that kind of music feeling alive and I mean the sound even though you're it's, going for even it, though it is arranged, but like the more people arrange it together, the more it has that kind of like together sound. And I think we really man, that thing sounds amazing. Yeah, it was so cool getting to come in on I think it was like the last day, but just to to be in the room for like you know, it was almost like watching like a Foley mixer, like moving for like a movie, recreating the sound of a party on the track and just seeing like your guys' experience show with like, like I said, there's like this looseness even in the studio where you're clapping, people are just calling out, Ben's doing his ad libs, Lolo's yelling stuff. And it was like this really cool, almost like freestyle that was going on. Uh, oh yeah, and it, there was like this intention of like we're gonna do multiple passes here and put it all together, and it, the the result is gonna sound like this organic, like loose party background. Right, yeah, yeah. That was super cool to just hear those pieces come together, and 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 there was such a relaxedness about it too, which I think really lent itself to the final product. Like, it, it, there wasn't like a super you know, nitpicky, oh, no, you man. know, obsession of like get, making sure that the, you know, that this is perfectly this way or, you know, right. oh, this is well, a that flat song or, was know. not. Yeah. Especially that one is not supposed to, you know, it's not supposed to be that way. We, mm-hmm. we you know, we, we've, we've done our share of party tracks. Mm-hmm. I remember some of the early ones. We'd be hella like awkward, <laughs> you know, way back. We'd be like, <laughs> yeah, <"Okay>, yeah, <laughs> let's make it sound fun. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we've had a lot of experience throwing parties uh-huh. and, and having fun. So, you know. You're like, I think we need a hell yeah on uh, bar three. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the bits that I've, I'm really excited for this, this album to come out, like the bits that I've heard. And do you guys have any idea on like around when it'll be released to the public? I think it's probably not going to be released for another year. Okay. Probably wow. till the fall. 
Cool. But, you know, so it's going to be a minute. Yeah. Well, there'll be, I'm sure there'll be little, little tastes or. Yeah, there'll be little leaks. Do, do you guys, um, like with this new music, when you, when you're in the, this process of creating an album, do you guys like sit on those songs in the live context as well? Do you wait till the album's out before you play that in your tour or on your set? Or is it something that you, that you're also working on stage? No, we, one of these songs we play on stage, two of these songs we played on stage already. Okay. Yeah. And one of these songs I like wrote, actually that song, I Miss You Baby, I, I made that up at a party. I can see with, that. <laughs> yeah. Like I made that up at a little party with Lorenzo and, and some other people on stage. And I had kind of come up, I had kind of come up with some of it in my head like that, earlier that day. And then I just started jamming this little groove that I come up with it for. Oh. <laughs> and anyways, so I, I try, I try to, and then we had, we were, we started to jam and I was like, I'm going to try this thing out. This little thing I had in my head and it caught like, it caught so hard at the party. You know, it was like one of those things that like all these people started singing along with immediately and, and kind of making up their own shit with it mm -hmm. too. I was like, Oh yeah, <laughs> this is going to be good. We got a winner. Yeah. I think this is going to be good. So what was the one, uh, you were telling me that story about like the, it was another like Lesh dream track that you found in your dreams. Oh, I have a few of those. Yeah. There's a few of those on the record. Um, but that one was the little, uh, actually don't know, even know what that song's going to be called yet. I have a melody, but I'm not finalized on the words. I don't think. Was it the kind of African guitar it, one? No, or? no, that, that one is also a dream song, but the one I was telling you about, yeah, the, the, it, right now it's called, I want to love. Okay. And it's just, uh, it's like almost like a doo-wop thing with like a second line beat behind it. Oh, that's right. And kind of like almost like a reggae bass line mm -hmm. over the second line groove on the drums. So there's like snare drum and bass drum and bells going. But then there's like this. Yeah. Kind of bass line happening. And so and then I have this kind of like doo-wop melody going over it sort of. And what was the dream again? The dream and then in the dream. Story. Oh, yeah. In the dream, I was we were all sitting around the band that is like everybody in the band was there. We were at some festival. We were sitting out on this hill, just festing bullshit and talking shit and stuff. And this band starts setting up. There's this band of like goofy looking dudes, <laughs> just like us. <laughs> that's kind of what I think. That's what I think the hidden meeting of it was that it was like basically us. And we were all sitting there on the, we were drinking beers and smoking weed and whatever else. Just enjoying the the sunshine, and we were like kind of like cracking on these dudes. We were like, look at these guys. <laughs> <laughs> we were all like cracking on them, just like talking mad shit. And then they start up this groove, and we're like, hey, these guys are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> the boys can play. <laughs> these guys are good, you know. We we're kind of like, okay, okay, okay. They they, they look like us. And we hate ourselves, but uh, or something. Whatever's happening in my yeah. mind, you know yeah. what I mean. I don't know what my mind is telling me there, <laughs> but they're pretty good, yeah. you know. <laughs> and and then and then this and then this dude starts singing this melody, and it was like and it was like, oh shit, that's a good song right there. And they just were going through this beautiful little song 
And then I woke up and I, I ran like to the piano and me, I actually didn't run to the piano. I wrote, um, I, I just picked up my phone and when you woke up, yeah, as soon as I woke up and I sang the melody into the, into the phone. And then once I had that, like once I'd recorded it, I, I, I put some chords into it. Uh, I think I went back to bed and then woke up, you know, two hours later or whatever. And then it was like, okay, I pulled, I remembered that I had had that song and I pulled it up and it was just as cool as I remembered it. I was like, oh yeah. It started putting chords to it. It makes me think like someday it'd be like, like a cool concept album to do like a dream journal. Like, you know, some sort of like Honey Drops compilation that's like all tracks from Lesh's subconscious. You know? I mean, shit, most of them Yeah, are I know most of them are, there. but like, yeah. with, I'm saying like you could package it, you know, sell it with that intention. I think people right. would really connect, especially maybe some of the, you know, earthy, witchy <laughs> female fans, of which I know you have a lot. <laughs> Uh, and then you could do in the liner notes, you know, like every track you could kind of oh, tell the story say. about the dream. That would be kind of cool. You know, that the, that the song came out of, if you can remember it, or maybe you have to fudge a little bit of it, you know, but like, yeah, yeah. like I feel like that would like, people would be like, Oh, this is the dream album. You know, right. like that'd be like a selling point that people might connect. Yeah. To. These days you need to have a little <laughs> fucking gimmick. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, no yeah. one's paying attention. Every vinyl. What's the story here? Right. We need a story. You make the cover of the vinyl is like a dream catcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> California Honey Drops, dream catcher. <laughs> <laughs> stick a little bag of patchouli in there, you know. That's, that's, that's all. It's up. I had a crazy dream last night. I uh, I had one of those like hanging with my hero dreams. I don't know if you ever have those. Oh yeah. I was kicking it with Steph Curry in my dream last night. <laughs> like it was like one of those, like my hero's my best friend. Like yeah. we just were hanging out. Uh, and yeah. There was like a, he had like a little skate park in his yard and I was like skating on like this piece of sheet metal. <laughs> Didn't even have wheels, but it was like going and I was like hitting this huge jump and getting all this air. And, and we were like just chopping it up. And then, I ended up like in his bed. Uh oh. And <laughs> with Aisha. Oh shit. Nice threesome. Bro. <laughs> and she was like talking well, she was like telling me how like she started telling me how like Steph gets all this play on the road, like it's part of their like agreement. But like she never gets to take <laughs> advantage of it on her end. And she was like, you know, like asking me to to, to go there with her. And I was like, but he's just in the other room. Like, I can't do stuff like that. <laughs> I was like, I want to, but I can't. Oh, my God. You know? <laughs> that little moral conundrum in my subconscious. So you're That's getting... my boy. Yeah, exactly. That's like, my hero. He's got to go for 40 and against the Nets tomorrow night. Come on. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, you know, you get songs out of your dreams. That's kind of more what I get is those little moments. <laughs> <laughs> But it's still a fun dream. It was like, I can't do that to my boy. I can't do that to my boy, Steph. Uh, uh, those those moral conundrums and dreams are so fun. And <laughs> you wake up and you're like, damn, I should have done right, that Right, exactly. <laughs> I know. I'm like, to me, like, if I could do any sort of dream work, it would be like, how do I break through my inhibitions that would constrict me in normal life? Right. You know, to like really 
exploit the full, you know, the the extents of the possibilities that that arise in my subconscious. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> I've had so many opportunities. Like the most beautiful girl I've ever met, but I'm still held back by whatever sort of artificial convention society has put on me. Right. It's, you know that. Who knows? Yeah, I mean that's why I like the dreams, you know, because I think the songs out of the dreams don't have as many inhibitions. Mm. And so there's just more random creativity in there. Yeah. Or just more of like a I don't think I ever would have written that song and a lot of you know what I've noticed? A lot of the the songs in the dreams are super simple and they're usually like they're like super simple progressions too, just like one six two fives. Kinda like these ice cream changes kind of songs, like that if I just started playing one six two five at home, I'd be like, I'd be like, oh, I don't need to write another song with that progression. Mm-hmm. I would just abort it. I wouldn't keep grooving on it. I would be like, ah, oh, whatever. Give me something more interesting, right? You like reject it before your yeah unconscious mind has the chance to 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 show you something that you like. Yeah, and so they, so it's like, so that's I think it's a, certainly easier, you know. Not all the songs are from the dreams on this record, but a, a, quite a few of them are. Did, do you know how many tracks are going to be on this? Uh... Nah, we might not even be done tracking. Okay. Know? How many did you do? Um, we did eleven, I think. In yeah. in a week, or how long were you in there for? Yeah. Yeah. Not a bad. Week. Do you have like a limit of how many songs Maybe that you'll? More. That you'll do in a day? Like, have you... It's usually, like, if you really want to get the sounds right and stuff, it's it's usually, like, three in a day. Okay. But then we started, you know, like, there's a lot of... We did want to do overdubs on the songs while we were there. So if we were just doing straight-up rhythm tracks, I think we could have done a lot more. Mm-hmm. But we did want it. We actually wanted to sift through the takes and do overdubs on them, which means you have to sift through the takes make decisions and make edits. So that takes time. Yeah. So one day we did like four songs in the day, but then the next day you have to actually, if you want to do overdubs on those songs, which we did because we had certain song sounds going that we liked and we wanted to do that. Then the next day for a few hours, you're just picking the takes comparing, you know, that all takes time Mm -hmm. and then, but it's good. And you guys usually, rehearse like the week before like like to learn the songs or to like yeah we rehearsed like a couple of days before this so it wasn't much most of the rehearsing was in the studio so you did do some studio rehearsing too yeah i mean basically while we're setting up for the song and getting the sounds we're rehearsing the song and yeah so a lot of it a lot and most of the takes are like the first time we we finally figured out the song right it's like that magic of the first recording. It was kind of, it was interesting. Like most times we've had, a lot of times we've had to go deep into takes to get the right take. And this session we would rehearse the song, get sounds. Jacob would be tweaking the mics, placement and stuff while we were rehearsing it. And then we'd press play and we'd do it. And then we'd be like, okay, let's do it again because we're just learning it. Mm-hmm. And then we'd probably take like each song we'd probably do like, between three and six takes of each song. And the next day when we listened back to the takes, it was the first one was like almost always the best Mm -hmm. 
Unless there was like a huge gaffe, you know what I mean? I think that's one of the lessons of recording, right? Is like, we've talked about this before, but like, yeah, how it's, it's like, you'll, you'll do the first take and there'll be, it won't be perfect. And then you'll try to work it, but then you almost have this like expiration time of that freshness yeah. before it. I think especially when you're rehearsing it too. Mm-hmm. See, I actually had this whole plan on this session that didn't happen, which was that we were going to demo all the songs in the studio. Like do like a demo of like the first two days, demo all the songs. So do like five songs in a day. Each day, do like five or six songs. And then demo them once, listen to them, check them out. And then the next few days, actually record them. Mm. But it just wasn't practical because you're making changes. You're making changes to the sounds with each song. So it didn't make sense for us to set up for a song. Right. Jacob to move mics around, get all the right sounds. And then to be like, okay, we'll come back to that the next day. It's similar to like working on set where you light, you light everything. Yeah. And then like, you don't like, you can't really like, you got to get all your shots with that lighting. Cause trying to recreate the exact same yeah. lighting is the same with, I'm sure with like I getting so. the same sound. Exactly. It's, it's impo- like near impossible to do. Right. So, and then the recreation process becomes a time suck of itself. Right. Yeah, you're almost sacrificing all that productivity on the back end yeah. that you would have gained. So we didn't do it, but that was my initial plan. I, that, and that's, I, was like, I was like, let's demo them and then do them. Mm. But we didn't. We just rehearsed them, and then we played them, and usually the first one was good. Yeah. Because I think you're already burned out on playing it after right. you've been rehearsing it. For you sure. know what I'm saying? And there is that magic of like the first like one to three attempts like there's something about it where all the articulation I think is there's just a lick a pop to it that, you know, once you get to take six or seven, it nah, starts man. to feel flat. And some of them just were terrible. <laughs> like some of one of the songs that we did and this little guitar jam I have. Yeah. It, the later takes were like unusable. Mm. They sounded terrible. Like we just hit, it was like the first time Ben had even like played the song mm-hmm. and, and there was a second half to the song that we didn't rehearse. I was like, and then it's going to go into this fast thing. And he played this one little thing the first time we did it. And, and then we were like, okay, that's cool, but we should get this right. And it got so bad. <laughs> we listened to the takes next day. We were like, this is unusable. Yeah. Well, what are we going to do? And then Jacob was like, well, let's, let's just listen to the first one we did. And then we were like, oh, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> It's like, man, that's life, though. That'll, yeah. And it, that, it, that's also, that's kind of becomes the, like, the spiritual practice of making art, of making music is, like, that, like, those the twin concepts of, like, A, this is something that you're going to have to listen to for forever once you put it down. Yeah. And then B, like, doing the work to to accept that like it's never going to be exactly how you want it right you know and being okay with those imperfections they they do oh, wear man. down over time you know like sometimes like i i found like with the one album that we did with the band back in the day there was parts that like i was really embarrassed by or i really disliked but then like five six years later it i was like oh i sound way better than i thought i did yeah you know? it's totally <laughs> meaningless a yeah. lot of the time like that stuff yeah, and most people who listen to it don't know that whole thing, so they're just they're hearing it with their own ears, and maybe their favorite part is the part that you just couldn't stand. Man, right? Yeah, I mean we we have a better perspective on that now. We've made so many albums now, 
That's and we were getting a little bit down the rabbit. That's one of the things about not doing because we didn't do a lot of live vocals because I've been sick. Mm. And I'm still probably I'm still probably sound sick on the mic. But uh, so we didn't do any very many live vocals. We tried them on a couple songs, and we actually got some. But we generally were, weren't doing it. And so if you're not choosing to a vocal take, you're just listening to this rhythm track, and you're getting a hell of into some details that. N- might not matter at all right like so it's pretty it's kind of a it's kind of a mind fuck a little bit. spend an hour on one little tone or part yeah. an hour of studio time on. and you could be getting worse right you could be like trying to dial it in and just making it worse and then you're listening to the takes and you're like well i don't know about that one because it had a mistake and you're like it's just completely irrelevant I kept on saying that, I was like, guys, it does not matter. That does not matter. Mm-hmm. Like, but anyway, I've, I feel like I got a better idea of like when it matters and when it doesn't matter. Makes me think about that the famous story in uh, in the the Led Zeppelin song. Um, what is it? Uh, good time, you know, good times, bad times. Uh-huh. There was this part in the song where where Robert Plant's like, "I'm so glad I'm leaving." Then you hear, "Stop." And apparently in the studio when they were tracking, uh, John Bonham's playing drums and I think it was like maybe Jimmy Page or, or, uh, John Paul Jones was like making faces at him and he's playing drums and he says, stop. And it was like right on beat and it got picked up in the vocal mic or in one of the mic room mics and they just kept it on the track and it's such like an iconic part of the song now whoa that like a little bit yeah that like you know whatever it was about that take it was their best take clearly yeah, yeah. it worked cuz it's one of my favorite led zeppelin songs and they had to go with the stop in it but then it you know now there's like this sweet oh, man. you know kind of lore around yeah, the song yeah. you know? dude when you listen back to r- records like of your favorite songs so many mistakes. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like this weird thing that now, like, that you can make it perfect, you make it perfect. Right. There's yeah. so many mistakes. There's bad bass notes. There's mm. all kinds of things that some of my favorite tracks have, like, just wrong notes left and right. How many, like, Bob Marley songs have, like, a flat vocal note in there that just becomes kind of part of the, the yeah. sound, you know? Yeah, nobody. It's like you don't care. That's yeah. not what you – it's like the – the music is so much more global. It feels more experience. human that way, you know? Like the music this... now is, like, perfect. Right. There's, like, no it's mistakes. too perfect. Yeah, it's probably why. It doesn't sound good. It's, yeah, it's like when everything is, like, perfectly isolated and clean. Yeah, airbrush. That's a great, yeah. great uh, analogy for it. It does feel, you know... Auto-tuned it, and airbrushed. Yeah, it's like the... It's like the the uh, auditory equivalent of, like, those Instagram filters that make girl's eyes bigger and waist thinner and skin clearer you know yeah. but but there's no you when you look at it you don't really feel any human connection to the image yeah it's it's weird and weird strange times it's strange times yeah. man <laughs> we tried to avoid all that yeah was what's uh what was like the hardest album for you guys to make was there an album that stuck out in your we head? I don't know. Like, Maybe this one's going to be the hardest. going to be the hardest, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we only just put the basics down. No, we, we don't have actually that much more work on this. It's pretty – we're going to go back into the studio and maybe record some more songs so we have like a bigger 
list to choose from. So mm-hmm. you can just choose like the primo primo. Yeah. Um, the cream rises to the top. Yeah, but I th- I remember uh, like you mean it was a hard one to make because we had very little studio experience. I kept on coming up with more crap to put on the songs, like more overdubs, mm-hmm. and and we were generally constantly dissatisfied with whatever we put down as the basic tracks. We were like, this needs this, and this needs more of this, and mm-hmm. this needs more of that. And we kept on like stacking stuff on top of the tracks. I don't even know why. I just didn't even, I had no idea what I was hearing. Mm. It, was there like an insecurity about the quality of, like, you know, sometimes people keep adding things in, but really they're just like insecure about their own stuff or their own Yeah, I think position it was all or... that, all that, like, and... We just had we had we had made all this money from a Kickstarter okay. to make the so album. Pressures on, and it felt like all this pressure to make it really, really good. The songs for me were like that. That that album was all like about. It was a lot of like grieving songs on it, so it was like emotionally heavy to like just create it in a way. So it was a lot of like going through a lot of grief for myself mm-hmm. during that during all those songs. It just felt like such a big deal, and uh, I didn't have any. I didn't have like the tools, mental tools I have now to separate myself from it. Like now, I'm like, if something sounds bad, I'm like, I can go to sleep at night. Right. I'll get my sleep. You know. Mm-hmm. There, I would like, I would ask the engineer to send it to me that night, and then I would listen to it when I got home from the studio at like three in the morning, and then I would freak out that it sucked. <laughs> You know what I'm saying, and then I and then I'd have to get up the next day and go to the studio, like it was like shit like that. Like I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not. Right. I'm not like you know. I have this image of you like, uh, you know, flagellating yourself in your in your room. Your room, like, yeah, like bad, bad lush. Dopey's a bad house <laughs> elf. Exercise and masochism. Yeah, bad Dobby. Bad Dobby. <laughs> yeah. I was I was totally messed up, man. Like when in those days. Yeah. And like these days, like we gonna make one and and I'll hear it. I heard one thing that I didn't like one of the tracks that I don't think sounds right. And I was like, eh, I you know what? I'll wait two weeks and then I'll listen to it. Make up my mind later. I mean that's I think that's kind of that state of mind that you just described. Like the only way to get there as an artist is to like fail repeatedly like that's that's and know that it's not as bad as yeah you right but would you know that like that knowledge comes from like you get to the place where you make a mistake you fuck up you fail but you have all the horrible feelings yeah but then you don't quit like you don't quit your art right because no, like, no, when no. you're early on like a bad failure like that's the big tragedy right is that you might fail so bad that you never do it again. Right. But once you have failed enough times and kept do- doing it, then you're like, well, I'm still going to play music. Yeah. So like, yeah, I failed, but I don't have to dwell on it because I'm going to come back and make more. And you guys have experienced enough success despite or, or because of some of your failings too. I think it takes definitely takes some of the pressure off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're all that you always go through some kind of crazy thing with the, with the recordings we were all sick on this session that was kind of funny <laughs> nice the sick so we dudes. were all we were everybody was sick 
like bow through his back out you know like it was all kind of maladies and snot going around the studio you're paying homage everybody to was this, coughing up a lung this moment in history the, the honey drops you guys all it's a concept album the covid album yeah exactly we didn't actually have COVID. it was kind of funny like everybody we were like we must just have covid yeah we kept i got tested a couple times uh-huh. before we even started yeah i didn't have it and i think i gave everybody this thing but everybody got it but nobody had it was just funny, man. Like it was like we were all just green loogies flying all over the place. <laughs> but it was it was fun. It was actually I think it was the most fun sessions we've ever done. Nice, because we were just we played a lot of music and it was just hella creativity. Johnny was coming up with cool horn parts on the spot. They were really good. People were coming up with arrangement ideas. It's a cool had, studio. It's a fun. It's a really fun room to play in. The guy Jonah, he's actually the guy we recorded our very first studio album in. Really? With. I didn't know that. Jonah, he we he wasn't our engineer, but he owned the studio. It's called Survivor Studios now. And it was called Shipwreck before. And Shipwreck burned down. Okay. It was a big warehouse space. And then he o- opened up the Survivor Studios. So big, big shout out to Jonah for having us and for having us. Sur- Survivor Sound? Survivor, Survivor Sound, yeah. Okay. It's in Oakland. It's in it's in East Oakland now. I want to get the Fruitvale. get the name right for yeah, the Fruitvale. for the big up. Yeah, that place was so cool. Like for me, just even on the last day, getting to come in and shoot some video. Like as soon as I stepped in, I was like, "Oh, we can work with this" because everything's all like wood and earth tones. Like your guys' skin all looked super good, and the lighting. It was just like a, a very warm, warm feel to everything, and. And it kind of looked like how the music sounds in a way, like, like the colors that I was seeing That's on the walls. That's just confirmation bias. Yeah, exactly. It's my own <laughs> synesthesia, confirmation bias. But, but yeah, the music was sounding like the look of the studio, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I think in that way, I think this was the easiest. <clears throat> this was like the easiest one to do, just to be there. I think we would have gone crazy if we had trying to do seven days in some other studio. Mm. We did seven straight days, like 10-hour days. And we were like, you know, we were going, we were cracking a little bit, but not not too bad. And I think, I'm trying to think what else was hard. Which other one? They've all had their challenges, though. They all had their moments of just like, ugh. I had a moment on the second day where I was like, what is this music we're making? I don't know what happened, but I had like a total dip of confidence okay. and like total crisis, creative crisis. Yeah. Being like, what the hell is this? Like, is this even good? Like, what are we making? And then that went away. Like, I talked to different people about it. I feel like I talked mm. to some friends about it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah. And then, and then I remember this thing. I saw something of David Bowie saying that like, if he didn't feel like really challenged by something that probably wasn't worth doing. So I definitely felt the challenge of the, of how to like really make the music right. And I was like, that's good. That's good. That means that we're pushing some, pushing against some kind of boundary that we're trying to crack. And I'm not even, I, for the record, I'm not even a Bowie fan, but I thought that was probably really good creative advice. You always wonder about those quotes. Like, like if those quotes, a were like said by the person, or if they like, if you asked, but if you had asked Bowie the day before when he was like 
coming down from the cocaine studio night if he would have been like it's bloody my shit sucks or, you know like yeah, yeah. i'm sure he had his own moments of darkness oh I, in I that space you know That's they, they caught of... him on one of the days he was feeling good you know? yeah i think no i think this was in some kind of speech he was given gotcha but yeah no you feel i think you have to like feel terrible at moments in the studio of just being like man this is no good I think there's always going to be a second like that. Yeah. Uh, it's just part of the creative. It's part of life. It's part of the creative process. Well, that you, that's how you know you care about it, right? Right. If you didn't care about it, it would never feel uncomfortable. Right. That That's the the, the danger of staying in your comfort zone, of, of, of going out and playing your shows and never stretching for the new stuff and risking the discomfort. Because sometimes right. also that's like, I'm sure you can attest like your, your greatest musical moments also can come out of that. Oh yeah. Trial zone, you know? Yeah. You never know what's going to get you the right energy. Yeah. This, there was one of the songs on here. I was like really searching for different ways to put it together on the honey and butter. I think that might be the name of the album. Honey and butter, honey and butter Mm. (laughs) or butter and honey. Mm -hmm. Which one? I don't know. But, but on that song, like, we had tried it as like kind of like a rock steady kind of like thing. And I just didn't want to do it like that. I didn't want to do a song that was like straight up mm-hmm. a genre. I wanted all the stuff to be like a weird combination of things. I didn't want it to be like, oh, that's Honey Drops doing a rock steady. That's fine for like making the covers record. Oh, we'll do a rock steady version of. Right. Or we'll do a, a ska or we'll do, a, you know, like I didn't want to do that. So I started coming up with these different ideas of how to like fuse different styles together. And that was a big, that was like a big moment for me. like, that's the, that's the thing I'm most interested in musically is how to put a lot of different things together that might not go together. Cause I'm not like a really big genre genre. Like, I don't know, you know. Like you don't pull from many different genres, are you saying? No, we do. We pull okay. from like a million genres, but yeah. I just don't want it. I don't I don't like I don't really like getting caught up in that place where I want it to sound exactly like one of them. You're not a recreationist? <laughs> nah, you know, in some in some degrees with like blues and stuff like that and traditional like some some stuff there's there's a there, there's a part of the recreation that you want to do. Like to get the feel of it, but you don't want to do it like, and you need some very specific parts. So you need to do like your research and know how the parts go and know how the parts fit together. Like, but beyond that, like, but then there's a part of it that needs to be your own always. Yeah. And there's, you can debate that all you want. Mm -hmm. Like how much of your own thing is going to come out anyway. Right. Right. Like, why not just try to recreate it exactly? You're still going to be yourself, right? That's, like, one way to think about it. And then the other way to think about it is, like, oh, if we go into this recreation mode too hard, we're not going to sound like our – it's going to take life out of it. It's going to sound like a museum, like belongs in a museum. It's going to, like, pull the life out of the music and the performance because we're just going to be trying to make, like, this little miniature diorama version of, of, like, something else. So yeah. I say, I'm always trying to walk that line somewhere in between and knowing when to push which button, knowing when to be like, hey, we need to like figure out 
we need to like rein this in because this is actually not fitting together. You know, you, you, I have to trust my body at some point. Be mm -hmm. like, does this music feel right? Like, or not? And yeah, and are you having fun? Yeah. It, you know, right? It's always yeah. a good compass point to point towards too. Yeah. Like you guys have done enough work developing as artists and, and playing music together as a band. Like what's the point if you aren't enjoying yourself? Yeah. It's gotta be you just know? fun. Like, I think in that, I think this session has been the most fun. You guys seemed like you're having a lot of fun when I came in. That's for Oh sure. man. I think, <laughs> I think it was the most fun session we've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of laughing, a lot of goofing around. Scott was was cracking me up well, on this. Scott was great to have. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "How much of this this audio am I going to be allowed to put in these videos?" <laughs> yeah, we're really good. And, I mean, that's the mark that that is like what all you know. I think any successful band will tell you is like it's it's uh, important. You know, it's as important as all the work you're doing on your craft and your music. It's like are you functioning as a band? You know, is your dynamic healthy? Is everyone pissed off all the time? <laughs> you know, or, yeah. or are people getting, are these people you want to hang out in a bus with for a month? Yeah. You know, like, are you going to kill each other? Yeah. I think in that sense, it was the best session too. I think it was the least, but you know, some people say that you're supposed to have friction. Some of those like bands had like crazy friction and they were like, well, we needed the friction. Yeah. Is that just something you tell yourself when your life sucks? I guess if you're successful, you can kind of justify <laughs> you anything, justify, right? right? <laughs> like if something works, you know, like what, like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Yeah, they like hated each other. Yeah, apparently, but, and like were miserable. And the Eagles, right? But if their music had sucked, then they probably would have used the same excuse. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I prefer not to live in that world. No, man. Yeah. I mean, it's it. Got, it but gets, man, if there's no struggle, like there's just no. What are you even really doing? Is man? it even art? I'll never forget. Like I dated this girl in my uh, in my early twenties. Actually, she broke my heart. I fell madly in love with this girl, but towards the end of our relationship, I remember one of the things she told me. It, it kind of helped because I thought she was such a dummy when she said it, but she was like, she was like obsessed with this idea that in order for art to be good, there had to be suffering. Oh yeah. That's you know, I think it's like a phase that everybody goes through. That I mean, we, that's just a narrative in our right. society. Period. I, I remember her saying that to me and I just looked at her and I was like, like I'm still hurting cause you broke my heart, but also like, now I'll be all I right. Let you go <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cause I don't need this shit in my yeah, life. I'm just like, <laughs> man, like I'm trying to have that art that I like feel good doing, you know, like yeah. what's the point otherwise, you know? Like I, I see people get caught up in the like need to be have an identity as a suffering artist. Like, oh, yeah, art doesn't yeah, mean yeah. anything if you're not in pain. You yeah, know? yeah, that's pain's gonna mm -hmm. find you anyway. Can living. can you be well adjusted and make good shit? You know, like I, I'd like to think the answer is yes, and I do think that there's a you know we all know there are those people that are perfectly well adjusted, kind of happy go lucky folks, and they're making stuff that makes us cringe but i think there's also especially now in like the modern age i think there are like people that are super healthy and happy and are making like really cool stuff yeah i mean i think that's just a narrative and you can buy into it mm -hmm. i think sometimes you know 
those states create um, places where you feel creative or something like that. Yeah. You know, they like, they, right? They, there's a, that whole narrative, right? You can, I mean, you can feel. Liminal states. Like when you go yeah. into a liminal state or like these boundary states where you're very uncomfortable, where you're pushed to the edge of your comfort zone. These are the places where it's an opportunity <laughs> to grow. Yeah. And like so and and some people I think need those states in order to like let the creative juices start flowing or something. Mm -hmm. I've never found that to be true personally. Yeah. Like that's never been a creative place for me when I'm depressed. And I'm depressed, I'm not making shit. Right. Like so I don't know. I'm not really sure if that applies to everybody, but there there is that whole and there and, and there is some kind of truth to that, you know, like you gotta be pushed sometimes but but I, you don't need to fake it you I, know i think a lot of for a lot of artists like art is their coping mechanism like it becomes your processing tool right yeah uh and i think for everybody it's certainly like you're gonna feed whatever whatever your experience is you're gonna feed into your art because that's really what an artist does right you're feeding your experience into a medium to create an effect that other people can you know, feel yeah. stuff about, but I do see in some of the most famous and, and well-accomplished artists throughout history, like, it's almost like the art becomes such like their only coping tool that they develop like a dysfunction, like a, an addiction or a dysfunctional relationship with their art to the point where like what they're making is also hurting them. Oh, right. Like, how many stories yeah. have you heard of these people? That, yeah. You know, like... I, I, I've been super careful about that, yeah. I feel like, because I'm wary of that. Mm -hmm. And so, like, one of the things that I've, I haven't done is, like, as I won't sing certain songs a lot live. Hmm. I don't want to get in the habit of singing this song a lot. Like Even your music? Song. Yeah, people? yeah. I, I, I like singing the songs that are positive and going into that space daily on stage so i like i love singing something like broke down or like this like that there's certain songs that are always good for me to sing because i like where it's taking me mentally right it's the right place for me to be at any given time and i can enjoy that song no matter how many times i've played it makes you feel like, good <laughs> yeah but i don't want to necessarily like sing certain songs and feel like i have to feel them mm. like singing some kind of negative or right. song about a negative emotion and then like you don't want to get up there and sing it and then feel like a fraud and not feel it. So if you get famous singing really sad songs, you don't want to just be going through the motion on these sad songs, right? Because right? they, they can tell that you don't feel it and you need to put the feeling into it. You can get into all kinds of weird traps with that because, you know, you're supposed to be the singer of sad songs or you're supposed, you know. And it's funny, and I, and this album is the first out. And one of the things I don't write a lot of songs about and sing a lot about is like songs about any like relationships a lot. Like I don't do the whole man woman thing regularly. Singing wise, like some of the songs I mentioned are all kind of like about other stuff. They're like about bigger picture things. And this album actually has a lot of like kind of like man woman songs about the whole relationship thing. California Honey Drops, Man Woman Songs. Man Woman Songs. <laughs> the whole love issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's more songs about that on this record, I think, than some of them. 
Well, I could imagine even like, especially in a performative context, like performing sadness to me. Right. Gets dicey. Cause that's dicey. Right. Yeah, like it, we can all, I mean, we're people are, you know, conceivably coming to feel good at your shows. That's what's bringing people in. Or they're coming. So people, or they're coming come, to, f- to feel bad. Right? Yeah, I mean, people do come to shows to feel bad for it's, like cathartic experience. That's a good point. They come to certain to certain types of artists will attract a crowd that wants to see that song live, and they just want to be moved. You know, they want to cry. They're like, oh, they're gonna play that song, and I'm just gonna cry, and it's gonna fix everything. <laughs> Whatever. I don't. You know, I don't know what the fuck these people are thinking, but right. And yeah, but the, but as the performer, then you're like it, you know, as the performance, I think that it does get kind of. Oh, man, that's a mindful. Yeah. Well, especially because you, you navigate. That. I would imagine you're like alert. You're so much of your process, like day of show is in getting into a good mental state to go perform and to go like right. ch- channel this energy through yourself. And I think maybe you can do it if you just think of it as a channel. Right. Like, yeah. What if you just like think like, hey, I'm not feeling these feelings right now. I'm just a performer and yeah. I'm just channeling them. And they just right. go through me like, you know. Well, that's Tupac. I mean, that's what Tupac always said, you know, because he, you know, critics of Tupac would say like, hey, man, like you aren't really from like the hood. You've never like actually like gone through this life that you rap about. And he's like, no, nah, man, I'm telling the stories of the people that have like mm-hmm. he thought of himself as you know because he lived in so many different places he lived in marin he lived in baltimore went to like a performing arts school like yeah, he yeah. like had rubbed shoulders with like both ends of the socioeconomic scale and one of the things that he said that always stuck with me was like yeah man i'm telling the stories you know like i'm writing music for those people for the thugs for the people that are living that life and i do have experience in that community that may not be who i am right but then you look at who how he acted and he was almost like the most hard guy he would do the crazy shit in public because that was like all part of his performance right didn't end when he got off stage right yeah no i mean that's i think that's i mean i think ultimately that's valid and like the, the ultimately that's really where it's at for anybody who's a writer or a performer or whatever that you're a storyteller you don't it's not about you people that's just like part of the weird cult of like you know these days there's this like cult of authenticity Mm -hmm. and that's where all these type of bad ideas come from that you were talking about like you have to live the suffering that you sing about and this and that it's like no man like you don't you just have to be really good at telling the stories that's what you have to do like that's what a good writer is right like we don't care we I don't, don't know, know, dude. You gotta be you know, the real like we deal. Don't, yeah, yeah, exactly. You gotta be. We don't care if like Shakespeare. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like what he went through, right? I don't give a shit what yeah. his life was, right? right? Mm-hmm. We just know that he wrote the the goods. We know that his writing the is the yeah. best. Yeah, right. <laughs> like who gives a damn? Uh-huh. But that's just part of our our craziness of the world today. Yeah, and you know, so people get face tats, and people do all kinds of drugs, and they say that they're going through something and then mm-hmm. they, they try to make money off of that. Yeah. And well, a lot of the authentic <laughs> quote unquote sufferers, like that shit's why they're not successful. You know, like a lot of the people that are really like the real deal are the dude oh, yeah. that's still playing in the dusty, dirty bar at the end of the street. Cause he couldn't get his shit together to actually right. like 
transcend. Maybe he can do this one thing in a, the most authentic way. But like, again, it's like that guy maybe inspires the artist that can go and do that for 10,000 people. Right. But that reason that that artist can do it for 10,000 people. Is yeah. But those, both of those guys are suffering their faces off. Man. Totally. Anybody who's playing for 10,000 people is probably suffering. <laughs> Yourself included. <laughs> Myself included. Anybody who's playing for 10 people at the dive bar is suffering. Right. Uh, suffering is a reality of life. Suffering know? is existence. You know, like, and you know, you can, but ultimately it's, you know, sometimes it's a choice too. Yeah. Sometimes you can actually be a lot happier than you are being. Yeah. And I think suffering doesn't have to be a great evil either. Like I, you know, coming out of the, coming out of the, the Pasana 10 day meditation retreat I did, like that was one of the, one of the big lessons that I got out of it was like, Oh, I could see how this like Buddhist path of meditation every day. And like, working the muscles of letting go of attachments. I'm like, I could see how this would get rid of suffering. Like I was able to experience the utility of that process. But then I also got this perspective of like, man, I've gained so much wisdom through suffering. I'm like, I think I got a little more suffering to do in my life. Like, like I still don't know, like I'm still have some wisdom to gain, you know, and, and the whole like monk philosophy of like withdrawing, from the earth, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, uh, to assume this like higher level of, of existence. Like I saw it and I respected it and I honored it, but I also had this deep intuition that like, I don't think that that's for me, you know, on this reincarnation, if I'm buying into that system, like right. I think I got in this life, I have some more suffering to do and some more wisdom to gain. And maybe I'm not going to transcend to the, <laughs> to the, to the all brain, to the all mind, you know? Right. on this trip around but yeah i mean and 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 gaining that perspective on it now the, when i am in the fits of suffering sometimes i am able to like tap in and 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 kind of uh recognize that like even though it's uncomfortable or it's hard it's not without its own meaning it's not like it's a total loss yeah you know? yeah i mean that's a hard thing to realize sometimes yeah. yeah, I guess you just have to try to embrace it all. You know, right? Yeah, and make some fun shit. Make some fun shit out of it. <laughs> have fun while you're suffering. You know, you don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit, let's let's end this with some Warriors takes. What do you think? Oh, bro, so good we've right talked, now. We've gone super sad, and let's end with a with a really dope happy story which is that the warriors are crushing right now yeah the warriors are killing it's the most fun they've been fun to watch they were fun you you saw it at the end of last year Mm -hmm. you know you saw it and now they're doing it yeah and now and now they don't even have clay or wiseman back yet but they could get they could get better who knows you never know what it's like when you put a new new person in right you never there's no guarantee no but it's this team, like the way that they're playing now, I feel like is like that this we're seeing like the coach Kerr model in effect. Like right, right. those years with Kevin Durant, as good as he was when he came in, they kind of had to abandon the system to fit this like superstar in. Cause he has a playing style. That's a little more ISO ball, a little more like, give me the ball. Let me do with it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
But now that, that like, you know, it's taken a couple seasons and with the injuries, we've got this like fresh crop of young players that have bought into Kerr's program. And after right. like a couple years of running it and sucking and like, in some ways, the sucking, allowing for these young guys to get experience. To get better at it, yeah. You're starting to see a system that works that's like... Oh, it's so fun to watch. It's so fun to watch. Yeah. It's like the best basketball. I was listening to the radio the other day, and they were interviewing... Oh, shit. I forget which... It was a coach of one of the other NBA teams, and he said this great quote. He was like, he's like, in the NBA, man, he's like, there's 30 coaches that want to play the kind of basketball that Kerr's team's playing. Uh-huh. There's 30 NBA coaches that are trying to play this that, way, but they don't have 30 teams that will play that, that way. way. Oh, you know, that, yeah, like yeah. it's one thing to have. They all are trying to like have this team ball uh-huh. selflessness passing, but like right. the egos involved and the, I'm you have sure, to get the man. right combination, you know? Right. Yeah. No, it's amazing. It's so fun to watch, man. You know, another team that's fun is the bulls right now. Oh yeah. The bulls are hella fun. I need to watch this. Still need to watch they're the second half watch. of that game. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, they're that. a young team too, right? Yeah, yeah. They're they're fun. And they also like just have a good – they just got a good chemistry, man. It's good team ball. They're, they look like they're having fun. They look like they like each other and shit. And they're like, you know, they let each guy kind of do their thing. All the guys are like popping out at different times. You know, it's kind of like – yeah, it's pretty It's pretty awesome. That, that, that team culture is, is such a factor like – Forget if you were watching with me the other night, but they were talking about Bielitsa, mm-hmm. one of the new players we got this year, and they were saying that he, uh, like, when his contract came up, his um, his agent came to him and he's like, "Well, we have like three or four teams that are interested. You know, this one we have the Warriors." And then he stopped him right there and he's like, "I'm going to the Warriors." Yeah, it's like yeah. tell them yes. I don't even want to hear the other offers. The other options. Yeah, yeah. He saw the way that they're playing and. It's like exactly the kind of basketball that he wanted to play. And you see that like when the system works, like we've taken some of these players that have kind of been written off like Gary Payton. Like everybody's like, where's this guy been hiding? He was in the G league. He he worked his way in and it turns out he can fly. He can fly. (laughs) He's He's like like my favorite player on the team right now. Yeah. Dude, that shit is crazy. He can slam. He can throw down. He's like, He's crazy, getting crazy crazy amount of steals every day. Defense, yeah, it's awesome. You see how it's affecting the other players too. Like I've watched other guys step up their defensive game because they're seeing yeah Gary Payton play so tenaciously. Yeah, I think I mean yeah, it's it's um I always like watching the Warriors over the last years just because it's like an inspirational thing for a team, like for watching a team of any people do Mm -hmm. something together. Because you can see, you know, Curry is like, a, he's such a fun leader. You know, he, you can just see that it kind of starts with him. Mm-hmm. That he's not like too crazy. <laughs> you know what I mean? That he's not like way gone on some weird ego trip. Right? No, he see of all the all-stars, he seems like he's the most happy when he sees his teammates do yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Know? So he's like, you can see it starts kind of there. And then you could see that he was still having fun with the team last year. You know, think about if he got hella mad last two years when they sucked. Right. I mean, I'm sure he was upset at yeah. times with, like, just not being up to the standard. But you can tell that he still, like, liked playing with the guys and was trying to have a good time. And I think that means a lot. Yeah. And that's why they probably got better. 
Right. You know, if you started just sulking, be like, oh, I want you to get out of here, yeah. man. Le- yeah. Yeah. Like, this sucks. I'm losing now. Whatever. Nah, he was he was cool. So, And then they brought back Iggy. And you can see that he's Huge. some kind of some kind of weird team whisperer, dude. And then Draymond is obviously like just hella juiced and brings hella energy. And his, his game has gotten so much more balanced this year. He's scoring more. Yeah, right? you're seeing him. You're seeing him not just scoring more, but like he's finishing in a way that he hasn't been like the last year and the year before. Yeah, yeah. Like you're actually he's making his layups. He's doing like the fake handoff drive moves. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and, and then the chemistry with him and Curry is just like crazy mm-hmm. on the pick and roll. Totally. And like the other guys get their little pieces in too. It's just fun, man. And that's like when I watch that, I'm like, oh yeah, that's. Whenever I'm having like an issue or wondering how to put a song together, mm-hmm. or how to like get something to happen right, I kind of think about I think about basketball. Right? Like, how would they do it? Uh huh. What do we? What are those elements? What? Which one of those elements are we missing here that that's keeping us from doing this? Or yeah, there's a lot know. of lessons to be learned from. You know, from I mean, sports, anytime you see anybody stories. doing something at that highest level, you can pick something out. But it's really fun to see a team doing it, right? And to watch they, these guys go from being like essentially like nobodies to like having so much excitement behind oh, them. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, that's just know, a feel-good story. Right. You're seeing these guys get lifted yeah. up and in these moments. like Even like Gary Payton, whose dad's like one of the most famous basketball players of all time. So he's always been in his father's shadow, right? The best he can be is like, you know, is always going to be compared to his father, but he's coming out. And now, you know, after fighting for years in the, in the, in the G league, he's not even in the NBA. Right. He, he comes to a team and suddenly people are giving him standing ovations and he's got you know, these huge basketball stars are like so pumped on him. You know, it's cool seeing Iguodala yeah. and him. It seems like they've got kind of a connection. Right. And, and what about Wiggins the other night? But yeah. Dunks. Dude, Just Wiggins getting vicious on it, man. That was fun too. Rip Van Wiggins woke up, you know, yeah. like that dude's been great, but like super sleepy, you know, and in, in, in that game against his old squad, he was uh, flying, man. So it was put by that final put bag got me out of the, yeah, I was just like, cause he was going the whole day. And then it was like, you're kind of like winding down. There was kind of garbage time. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it was just like, and guess what? <laughs> One more. One more. <laughs> I mean, he seems like the character in the movie where it's like, don't make him angry. You know? And it's like, how do we get Wiggins angry before every right. game? Like, how do we get him to play that way? If we could get him to play with that energy. I have a, I have a theory that Looney got him to do it. You think it was a loon? Yeah, because they were talking about who was the best dunker. They like they It was that after that game where, where um, where Gary, where Peyton had a couple of crazy dunks, they started talking about like who's the best dunker on the team, and they were asking Kevon Looney who the best dunker on the team was. And I saw this little interview with him, and he's like, he's like, man, some of these guys can really can really get up, and I, he's like, I think Wiggins, but but he's been acting, he likes to act like he's old or something. He said something like that. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he be acting old sometimes, and. I was like, damn, he just gave it to him like that. Especially <laughs> and then the next day, dude is like flying like 
Well, especially yeah. from Looney, who's like the oldest young man on the squad. Yeah, like, yeah. That dude looks like his knees are fused. And <laughs> yeah. That, you know, maybe we just need Looney to be the like Wiggins whisperer and talk shit before every game or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, you know, how do you think, like, I, I always wonder, like, if you had like a Wiggins on a, on a 90s Bulls squad with Jordan. Like, I wonder how that dynamic would play out, you know, like with, with a Jordan who knows like the potential of what Wiggins can play at and then seeing Wiggins not really trying or playing with the energy that Jordan would feel like he should be. Right. But he played, man. That's the thing though. I like, he's been playing a lot harder on defense Mm. than he used to. So to me, I was like already, I was like always kind of happy with him. I was like, okay, he doesn't give you like a ton of like. A super aggressiveness on offense necessarily, but like he's playing defense, which is what they wanted out of him, which he had never really played before. Hmm. All of a sudden, he joined the Warriors and he's playing both sides of the ball. Right. So I was like, and you know, he likes to end the shit. Who who never really knows? Like, like I would hate to see see him get hurt. Like you know, some people just know their bodies. They know they have to play. He likes to play smooth and right. You know, and sometimes it's just how they got to do mm-hmm. it. Like, not everybody's got to be like a play like a bat out of hell. It's true. It sure is fun to see him though when he's feeling it though. Yeah, there was a little spark of, of like what the buzz is all. Yeah. You know, you hear him talked about like he's a tier one player, and then when he's on your team for a couple seasons, and he's been lukewarm at best. I mean, he's had some games where he's gone off, but this was like the first time I was like, oh, that's what they're talking about. Like, right. That's right. what that thing is. Yeah. And. I just would like to see him take over a little bit more. Yeah, know? yeah, and get above the rim a little more often, yeah, like he can. It's not. It's it's not even so much like about the numbers for me. It's more just I want to see him care. Yeah, yeah. Those yeah. moments where you see it in his eyes, like that's what inspires me. Right, right. And that night, it felt like he actually cared about winning and cared about the team. Right, right. And, and cared that, about dunking on Cat's head yeah. over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Posterizing Carl Anthony Towns. I wonder. I wonder. I wonder how big a part of it was for him. Because right. they played them before. I mean, uh-huh. he's been on the Warriors for a couple years now, point. right? You yeah. know what I mean? And all of a sudden now he's like, Rah! Someone said something to him before the game. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Well, uh, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show. And, uh, you know, I... I I wanted to let you know that this is a very special episode. This is episode 40. Oh, shit. So I think you came on episode three. Mm. And, I, you know, I couldn't think of anyone better to have on my 40th episode than Mr. Lesh Wierzynski. And uh, you got you got, got any dates or anything coming up that <laughs> <laughs> as he massages my mic? Um, you, got, you got any dates or anything coming up that people should know about? Any? Um, little little northwest round yeah yeah 14th through the 19th and then felton okay Uh, like a bunch of shows in santa cruz around new year's around new year's cool but we're doing sebastopol and up all from sebastopol to seattle and in december cool and then before new year's there's gonna be three shows two in felton and one in santa cruz Sweet. Yeah, you guys are playing Catalyst. And it's always for fun New Year's? to play. Yeah, on New Year's itself, it's Catalyst, and then okay. Felt the Music Hall the other days, which is. Yeah. I love playing in the cruise. It's always a good time. I might have to cruise out for those for sure. <laughs> you will. Cool, man. Well, much, much love. Thanks for coming on, Lesh. Thanks for having me, Hobart. Always a pleasure, dude. Oh. And uh, 
all the best. And I think it's almost time for Warriors tip off. Oh so shit! Let's see if they, they can take down you the net. Do this? Hell yeah! Yeah, bro. Perfect. All right, there you have it. Uh, go check out the Honey Drops on their Instagram. You can follow them at ca Honey Drops, uh, and you can check it out. Check out their website. I think it's CaliforniaHoneyDrops.com, or maybe it's California Honey Drops Music. I don't know. Google California Honey Drops; they'll come up. Um, so you can stay tuned. They got a ton of music up there, and and this album, I think he said it's it's gonna be out next year, maybe. They're still in the middle of making it. Uh, but uh, but that's the episode. Uh, just again, will express my gratitude uh, to to Lesh for coming on, uh, and to all of you who have been here with me along this groovy experience and who continue to show up and listen couldn't do it without y'all and really appreciate uh you know attention is such a premium these days in the modern world uh and so those of you who choose to spend your attention bucks at the Bartcast store uh please know that it is very much appreciated and I, i hope that the content that i'm making is worthy of your time and it's something that you guys are finding useful and entertaining and, you know, whatever. It's, it's something that that, uh, that provides some value into your life. Um, I know it does for me. So we're 40 in, baby. We're going to keep this train of chugging. I'm, I'm going to set the attention right here, the intention right here, uh, right now on this outro. Uh, I am going to be trying to release these things much more consistently uh, from here on out. So expect that there will be fresh shows in your feed every Monday. Please go subscribe if you like what I'm doing and, uh, you know, feel free to, to, to connect with me on Instagram at young Hobart. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm totally open to questions, comments, uh, guest suggestions, if you want to be on it, you know, like it's, this is still that, that early phases where, uh, where, you know, I'm not getting overloaded yet with, uh, with options. So this thing has a lot of flexibility and, uh, if you want to interact with it, you know, I'm super open to it. So much love to you all. I hope you guys all have an amazing turkey day with your fam. Eat hella stuffing get super full, go rest on the couch. And, uh, just keep in mind that, you know, this holiday, you know, more than any historical context, I think is really about family and togetherness and, uh, and connection. So hope you guys all have a lovely Thanksgiving holiday. Stay tuned next week for the next episode of the Bartcast. And, uh, and thanks again, uh, for being a part of this, uh, this adventure. 40 episodes, damn, it's it's pretty wild. Um, I appreciate you.